You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive and Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. I am really excited about today's show. I'm really excited, but I'm also really nervous because as you know, I don't have guests on often, but when I see somebody who I think fits a topic really well or somebody who I respect a lot and want their opinion on something, I make sure I try and bring them on. A couple of weeks back, I had Nate Geary on to talk a little bit about the algorithm of worry. And now I have a different guest on. I have Griff, a Buffalo Rumblings writer who specializes in the NFL draft. Andrew Griffin, you are with me. Hey, dude, thanks for coming on. Hey, hey, thanks for having me, Bruce. This is great. I'm excited to have you, man. And what we're going to talk about today is we are going to talk about Crossroads. No, this is not a movie review of the Britney Spears movie, although I heard it was epic. My wife is a huge Britney Spears fan, loves Britney Spears. And I never really understood it very much. I don't know if it's just a a difference of opinion or if we just have a, a different style, my wife and I, but I'm not really much of a Britney Spears fan, but it is not about the Britney Spears movie. That is not what this is about. It is specifically about a couple different players that I feel are entering a crossroads year for their careers and how, as I think about these players, the difference between those players hitting their ceiling and those hitters, those players hitting their floor is fairly significant for this Buffalo Bills team, not just in 2021, but trickling into the future. So because of that, I wanted to have somebody on who I thought could have a discussion with me about that. And that's where I decided that I was going to have Griff on. And the three players that we're going to talk about today are linebacker Tremaine Edmonds, defensive tackle Ed Oliver, and guard, previously tackle, Cody Ford. And we're going to break down what it looks like, what the gap between ceiling and floor looks like for different types of scenarios. You know, what is it exactly that can cause the the franchise to go one way or another 
due to the impact of those players hitting their ceiling or the impact of those players hitting their floor. So I think that's pretty important. It's definitely important. So we're going to do that. We're going to have the conversation and we're going to start with this question. What does it mean to the team if this player reaches their ceiling? So Griff, I'm going to ask this question to you as it relates first to Tremaine Edmonds. What does it mean to the Bills if Tremaine Edmonds reaches his ceiling this year? Yeah, so I think with Edmonds, yeah, I think what differentiates him between the other two players is that Edmonds is much closer to hitting his ceiling than the other players are. However, having said that, he's a linebacker, right? You know, so his his positional value is maybe not as high as someone like Ed Oliver. Um, but his ceiling is just, you know, compared to Oliver and Ford, his athletic ceiling is just so high. You know, I don't think people understand, even Bills fans don't understand just how athletically gifted Edmonds is. And when you combine that with his age, his, you know, the guy's already a pro bowler at this stage of his career, and he's still 23. And, you know, so I think I think for him, if he were to reach his ceiling, and this may also go for Oliver as well, it turns our defense into probably the dominant levels we kind of saw last last time in 2014 with Jim Schwartz. So, you know, that year they were number four in points and yards. Um, or even, you know, maybe even returning back to 2018 when they were uh, second in yards during, uh, during Sean McDermott's second year as coach. So, you know, before I, he- before I hear from Bills fans that, you know, that's, that that's impossible, that Edmonds is never gonna, gonna reach his, his just, you know, gargantuan athletic ceiling. Just remember that Edmonds was hurt. You know, he he had a shoulder injury very early on last season and, you know, valiantly played through it, um, you know, and, and he should be given credit for that, to be honest. But it did 100 percent affect his play. And I think I think you wouldn't disagree with that. No, um, I really wouldn't. And and he didn't have star Lotulale, you know, Manning clogging up the lanes at, at you know, zero and one tech. Um, and that and in particular in McDermott's defense, that matters. You know, that that 100 percent matters because he and Matt Milano need to be kept clean. You know, that's their defense is predicated upon, you know, the the linemen clogging up those lanes, taking the guards and just, you know, taking up two guards or just creating disruption on the line so that Edmonds and, and Milano can run free and just make tackles, whether that's, you know, behind the line of scrimmage or, you know, a couple of year, yards off the line of scrimmage. Um, then you combine that with didn't have a training camp, you know, didn't have a full off season because of COVID. And, you know, obviously he's still young. He's still learning the position. So, you know, I think what it, what it would mean for the team if Edmonds reached his ceiling. And I think he, you know, we can we'll talk about more about Oliver specifically too as well. But I think he is is one of the cogs to turn this defense into you know a truly dominant defense like we've seen in the past couple of years. You know, with the team. 
the thing I think that is so interesting because I think we have a tendency to forget about it a little bit when it comes with Tremaine Edmonds is that Sean McDermott's defense was historically known as being a linebacker-centric defense. If you asked Carolina fans during Sean McDermott's tenure there what made the engine go, it was the linebacker core. And I would make an argument that the secondary has probably been, the safeties specifically, have been the best part of this defense since 2017. So the, the thing that made the engine go in Carolina isn't the same thing that makes the engine go currently in this Buffalo Bills defense. And if you get levels of linebacker play that Edmonds could allow you to do, imagine that Carolina defense with really good safeties. And so I think that Edmonds, as the middle linebacker in this defense, has an opportunity if he hits a ceiling. Now, the question from the chat is, from Zach, when do you think is a reasonable time to expect Edmonds to hit a ceiling? We keep saying, hey, he's really young, he's really athletic, and he was hurt. And everybody knows that. At some point, the clock runs out. Do you agree with me, Griff, that this is the year? Like, and if, if he doesn't take the next step this year, then you're probably going into his fifth-year option looking for probably somebody else? Or do you think you evaluate this year and you evaluate next year because of how young he is? Like, would you even agree with the premise that we're at a crossroads for Tremaine Edmonds? I don't. I, I disagree with that. I think the, you know, I what I would look for this year, this coming this coming season, is I want to see improvement from Edmonds. I want to see the arrow pointing up. You know, whether that is, whether that is fully reaches reaching his ceiling, I wouldn't you know I wouldn't necessarily agree with that. I want to see you know more than 130 tackles. I want to see double-digit passes defensed. I want to see maybe even double-digit tackles for loss. You know, I want to see, at, at the very least, an improvement from his rookie year, which is actually his best statistical year um, so far. But uh, improvement, to me, doesn't mean reaching a ceiling. I think you reevaluate, you know, if you see improvement this, this coming year, you reevaluate and you say, okay, you know, the arrow is clearly pointing up. We want to hold on to him, you know, and even if he doesn't reach that full potential, he's still, you know, a very, very good linebacker and potentially even, you know, the best linebacker from that class, or at least maybe uh, potentially the second best. I, I, all I, all I care about is seeing the arrow pointing up. I don't, I don't care whether he fully meets his ceiling or not. Rank these three players for me, if you would. Darius Leonard. Roquan Smith, Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, Darius Leonard, Tremaine Edmonds, Roquan Smith at this point. Really? Oh, that's fascinating. Oh, man, we, should, we, we could do an entire pod on that. Man, that's, 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 that's fascinating. Thank you. Okay, so this, we know what it means to the team if they reach their ceiling this year in, in, in Tremaine Edmonds. You kind of explained this already, but what does it mean to them if they don't? So if... Tremaine doesn't meet his ceiling this year. Would you argue that that's okay as long as the arrow is pointing up and it's really not necessarily detrimental to the team if he doesn't hit his ceiling? Yes, I would. Ar- I would argue that because like I said, you know, as you just said, as long as the arrow is pointing up, if he doesn't meet his ceiling, that's fine. His He's already a pro bowl linebacker. And I know, I know pro bowl doesn't mean, you know, what, it, what everybody thinks it means. 
it's more of a popularity contest, but, you know, for, for statistically, he does have, you know, the stats to back up a pole bowl selection. Um, the nice thing and, and what you kind of alluded to earlier is that the, the team, this team is not, this team's defense is not built on the linebacker play. It's not built on the defensive line play. It's built in the secondary. That's what matters. If, you know, the, the perk would be if he actually, if Edmonds and Milano were able to work together for a full year and Edmonds improved and the linebacker play became a, just as much a strength as the secondary play. But this defense, this defense's character is already built on the secondary. You know, we still have Trey White. We still have Micah Hyde. We still have Jordan Poyer. That's the, that's the identity of this defense. And, you know, what the struggle with McDermott this year is going to be turning, you know, what were previously lesser category, less, lesser, you know, positions on defense, like defensive end and linebacker, turning those from, eh, they're okay, into like a real strength for the team and making sure the defense is actually elite and not just good. And that, that's, that's fascinating. The idea that you could have a really good defense, which the Bills had a really good defense for two years in a row. They had really good defense. And they weren't getting elite-level play from their defensive line. They weren't getting elite-level play from their linebackers. So they managed to do it with two of their three lines on defense and two of their three units not playing overly well. They were fine. You know, they were fine. But Matt Milano, you know, is probably the best player in that front seven. Would you – I mean, help, help me with this. Do you think Matt Milano is the best player in the front seven? That's tough. Um, Jerry Hughes obviously has his moments um, mm. still. Um, and I think an argument could be made for that. I think where Hughes has Milano beat is that, you know, Milano hasn't been super healthy um, throughout his career. But, you know, when the, I think I would say when they're both on the field, yeah, I would say it's between those two players. And, and that's and, fascinating and let's, to me. And let's not get it twisted. Let's not get it twisted. Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer are not getting any younger. They're 30 years old right now. There, there's going to be a time, you know, maybe it's not this season, maybe it's not even next season, but there's going to be a time when the strength of this defense needs to shift from the secondary to either the linebacker core or the defensive line. You know, that's, and that, that shift could come sooner than, than fans think. And that's what's going to be important. That's what it means to hit on these draft picks is that, and that's why you need to hit on an Ed Oliver and a Tremaine Edmonds, because that's, that shift is going to happen sooner rather than later. And that's a fantastic point. This idea that you draft all these people and you put them on the defensive line and you draft Ed Oliver and you, you, you want it to be a front four focused defense, if at all possible, the bills have kind of gone against what I think Sean McDermott's preference is which is to generate pressure with four, not have to blitz a lot, have a dominant front four, and be able to get away with other things on the back end. And they've kind of been inverted for the last couple of years, where their strongest part of their unit was in the back half. And I just think he's trying to add young, youthful, talented bodies up front so that he can make that shift that you talked about. So we talked about Tremaine Edmonds. Let's talk about Ed Oliver. What does it mean to the team if Ed Oliver reaches his ceiling this year? Well, it's it's 100% key to that shift as well, is you can tell Brandon Bean has invested so much in this defensive line and has not, to this point, gotten that much out of it. And the as you point out, in Carolina, the 
the key to the defensive line was really there. The key to the defense was really the front seven. And, you know, if Ed, if Ed Oliver was able to, you know, just show massive improvement next year, I think that changes the defensive line into a true strength because, you know, he, what he, what he brings to the table is just disruption and whether that's against the run and the pass. So that suddenly transforms the defense into something that is truly elite because either you have it, you can have it both ways. You can either have all the, all the corners and the safeties lock down the receivers for plenty of time, allowing the defense, the, the defensive line to, you know, pressure the quarterback and get some sacks or the other scenario, which is the defensive line pressures the quarterback and, you know, beats their offensive guards or tackles to actually, you know, disrupt the offense and, and stop a play. So you, you are able to have those multiple scenarios of you can, you can disrupt the offense through multiple scenarios. Peak Starlatulale and K1 short. That was when that Panthers front four was at its best with peak Starlatulale and K1 short. And it's pretty clear that they'd like to have that. Obviously Ed Oliver is a very, very different type of player than K1 short, but theoretically that's what they're trying to achieve there with that pressure from the front four. So what does it mean for the Bills if Ed Oliver doesn't reach his ceiling this year? Are we extending the same length of time to Ed Oliver as we are to Tremaine Edmonds? Are we not? Are we basically not panicking at all? Or is it different because of the position he plays in the youth? I think you start to panic. You definitely start to panic because the team doesn't have – then in that scenario, the team wouldn't have an effective three technique and it wouldn't have an effective, you know, zero or one technique next to him. So I think it's fair to panic in that scenario because there's no one behind these guys, to be honest. There's no, you know, young fourth round pick that they're saying, oh, you know, we'll see how this guy turns out. There is, it's Vernon Butler who, you know, I think it I think at this point in the career we can pretty much decide what Vernon Butler is, which is a, you know, average NFL player. Um, you know, we'll make a couple plays here and there, but he's not gonna wow you. And Saar and Justin Zimmer, who say I think really the same thing with Vernon Butler, you know, won't wow you. Make make a couple flash plays, you know, he's super quick, super athletic. Um you know, really won't, really won't, you know, take over a game or anything for Justin Zimmer. Absolutely. Um, and that's, and that's all they have. So, you know, if, if Ed Oliver does not work out, I would say the team has to very much consider either spending the few amount of free agency dollars they're going to have on a proven, you know, three technique disruptive defensive tackle or again, you know, spend a spend a very high pick, whether that's a first rounder or a second rounder, on a similar player. And it's not like you know, you know, it's not like a disrupted three technique isn't hard to find in the draft. But the you know, you don't want to see the team continue year after year after year and just invest in the defensive line because they've done that's what they've done for the past two years. The thing that makes me a little bit scared about Ed Oliver not hitting his ceiling this year is that I pretty much assume that three-tech defensive tackles are slow-developing positions in the NFL. You follow the NFL draft um, just like I do, and I think 
I don't know if you would agree with that statement, but historically, defensive tackle is a fairly slow developing position. And so if Ed Oliver doesn't hit his ceiling, those types of players don't come available on the free agent market very often, which means you got to draft one. But then when you draft one, you're setting yourself up again. It's a little bit like Dawson Knox in the sense that if Dawson Knox doesn't develop and you've got to draft one, tight end's a slow developing position. And so it just it just creates this, oh, got to start all over again. It's a little bit like when a quarterback doesn't work out. When a quarterback doesn't work out, you're like, oh, gosh, got to rebuild the whole thing now. And it's it, it's kind of frustrating for me in that sense because Ed Oliver, you know, I, I think we all agree we were okay with the pick. And we knew that three tech was going to take a minute. I did a lot of podcasting and a lot of tweeting during Ed Oliver's rookie year saying, y'all need to calm down. Ed Oliver's not going to be ready in the first eight games of his rookie season. But here we are getting ready to go into year three. And I'm like, okay, well, I, you know, I think we've given him enough time. So I agree. I think there's time to panic. So let's move to the third person, which is Cody Ford. What does it mean to the team if Cody Ford reaches his ceiling at guard this year? Functionally, the offensive line would be complete uh, for at least the foreseeable future. And, you know, that is massively important in terms of Josh Allen's protection, A. But what really would excite me is what, what Ford brings to the running game. You know, uh, then that's, and that's been the talk of the entire offseason is – you know, the, how, how effective the team's running game has been. And obviously they didn't bring in anyone um, from the draft. You know, they didn't, they didn't draft Travis Etienne. Uh, it sounds like they're, they're basically going to run with the same, you know, with Singletary and, and Moss, the same basic grouping as last year. And so, you know, I think fans have been rightly asking where, where is the improvement going to come from? And Ford is one of the potential areas that the improvement can come from. You know, he only played in six games last year in six healthy games last year. So, you know, I think a, a healthy Ford that can demonstrate that he's actually adjusting to the guard position. Well, if he breaks out, I think that would go a long way in making the, the just the bills offense more of a balanced attack and the run game more of a threat. You know, it's I, maybe it won't, it won't be an elite rushing attack, but just something that fans want, which is a more balanced attack, something that's actually going, that defenses are, are going to be afraid of in the same way that they're, you know, deathly afraid of the Bills passing offense. I think that, I think it's really interesting that they're running it back. And let me ask you this. I know it's not part of the outline, but I want to ask you that because when you say we really need to improve our running game, like that was one of the first things they talked about in the postseason press conferences was improving their running game. But you bring back essentially the same running back personnel you added, Matt Breida, and you bring back essentially the same offensive line. So are they thinking it's a scheme issue or are they simply thinking that more time on task is going to be what improves the running game here? What Because I mean, if you really think about it, it's really – you know, it's the scheme, it's the running backs, it's the line, or it's time. That's it. What do you think they think it is? Because I think we're all trying to figure out, but I haven't gotten your opinion on it. What do you think? I think it's a legitimate concern of Dable and, and McDermott, probably more, more McDermott, that the, that the offense isn't more balanced. But 
I think the I think the offense is effective clearly, and balance doesn't really matter when you're putting up 40 points against you know the when when your passing offense can put up 40 plus points against the best passing offense in the NFL, which is what happened at the uh, the last game of the season against the Dolphins. I don't. I I mean I don't think Dable. Dable in particular cares how balanced the the uh, the Bills offense is. You know that's 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 certainly one argument. I think for Sean McDermott, I think the I think being balanced is probably more of a priority because you want to get in situations where you know towards the end of the game, say you're up by you know two touchdowns or, or three touchdowns, you want to be able to run it down teams' throats and actually finish out the game. So I think that's more, uh, you know, and, and give the, de- the defense some rest. So I think that's more of an emphasis that probably McDermott would have if I had to guess. Um, but yeah, I until I see any legitimate threat to the Bills' passing offense being less effective, I could honestly care less about having more of a balanced attack. There were times during the season last year where Josh Allen was basically could not be stopped. The passing offense was just rolling on teams. Um, and I just see that as a, as a strength. It's the offense is a strength. I don't care how they get it done is, is my general opinion on it. Okay. So what does it mean to the team if Cody Ford doesn't, reach his ceiling. If Cody Ford comes out and has what I would argue is a third consecutive year of underwhelming play, I don't think his rookie season was overly encouraging. And then yesterday, last year, obviously bounced inside a guard, then he got hurt. I would argue if he had a disappointing season this year, that it'd probably be a, a third disappointing season. What does it mean to the team if that happens? Not much, to be honest. Um, the team has Bucker, obviously, waiting in the wings. Um, the team has Ryan Bates, you know, as another potential guard option or, you know, future center option even. Uh, and to be honest, and Jack Anderson now, which, you know, seventh round pick, but he's a developmental guy. So they have, you know, unlike defensive tackle, unlike even linebacker, they do have bodies there. So they do have room for improvement and guard I think has shown that it's, and you know, the bills have shown this themselves is that guard is 100% of a position. You don't need to, to get average play. Maybe, you know, maybe elite play, you need to invest something like a first round or a second round pick, but to get average play, it does not require much of an investment. You can find guys in free agency. You can find guys in on, you know, in the third round and the fourth round and the fifth round, you can find these guys to start to, you know, start for teams. So to be honest, you know, if, if Cody Ford doesn't reach his potential, it's, you chalk it up to up, oh, you know, it's a, it's a miss. You know, we thought he was a, it was a super athletic guy, you know, moves well, super strong and chalk it up to a miss. And, and maybe you invest in it next year, invest in like a third round or a fourth round pick. I would agree. I, I think that if Cody Ford doesn't take a step forward this year, it's the least damaging of all the three players we've talked about. Now, because you have Ike Butker and because you have Ryan Bates and because you have Forrest Lamp, all of them are unrestricted free agents next year. Because of that, the worst case scenario is you have to make an investment. This is what you said. You know, you have, you're forced to invest 
in a spot where you wouldn't be forced to invest if Cody Ford were to pan out. And so if that's as bad as it gets, that's the least bad that we've talked about. So we've talked about what it means if Edmonds, Oliver, and Ford hit their ceilings. We have talked about what it means if Edmonds, Oliver, and Ford don't hit their ceilings. For those listening on the podcast, we are going to take a quick break. We are going to come back, and we're going to chat a little bit more about this. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. And I am here with Buffalo Rumblings contributor and draft analyst, Andrew Griffin. Griff is discussing with me the crossroads that we find ourselves at with three players in particular, Edmonds, Oliver, and Ford. Now, one of the questions that's inevitably going to come up is why didn't I include Dawson Knox on this list? The first reason is time. That's the most important thing. And the next reason is something that I have mentioned about when I came to tight ends. And I've mentioned this previously in the draft cycle. I mentioned this post-draft. I'll mention it again. I will never list tight end as a really significant need for a team. Because having an elite tight end is awesome and wonderful. They just don't make a lot of them. It's, it's a supply and demand position that is so extreme in one way because of how few of them there are that NFL offenses have learned to function extremely well in the absence of elite tight end play. It's not really necessary to have a really good offense. Not like having a good quarterback is having is necessary to have a really good offense over a long period of time. So, If Dawson Knox hits a ceiling, awesome. That's amazing. It's a huge boon and a feather in the cap for the Buffalo Bills. If he doesn't reach a ceiling, okay. He wasn't a big part of a record-setting Buffalo Bills offense last year anyway. So that's the reason why Dawson Knox is not a part of this. But what I want to talk about is what level of play do you have to get from each of these players for you to not worry Moving forward. Now, you talked about this with Tremaine Edmonds, so we're going to skip over that. With Tremaine Edmonds, the answer is arrow pointing up. Like that, that, That's what you said you wanted to see from Tremaine Edmonds is improvement. And if you see improvement, you're not really going to worry about it. So qualitatively now, talk to me about Ed Oliver. If I see this from Ed Oliver, whether that's statistically, whether that's qualitatively, if I see this from Ed Oliver, I'm not going to worry. Here, I would say I want to see circa 2012, 2013 Kyle Williams. So I want to see 60 plus tackles and maybe six sacks um, from Oliver. I think any, you know, that, and that would represent a statistical improvement from Oliver's best year, 
which just again so happens to be his his rookie year. And again, it's the arrow pointing up with Oliver. You still have another year of his contract. That would be his best statistical season. You know, it would be again, like I said, it's it's basically in in a you know age thirty, age thirty one, Kyle Williams. You know, someone who is clearly disruptive. You know, and obviously stats can't really measure the the clear disruption on every play, but statistical improvement to just about being the upper echelon, maybe the the top you know fifteen of defensive tackles, maybe even sixteen or or seventeen defensive tackles. Those types of statistics. That makes sense. I think expecting Ed Oliver to have the type of impact that we had when we had Kyle Williams is completely reasonable. Kyle Williams was a good player for this team for a really long time. And obviously we'd all love Ed Oliver to be dominant, like absolutely dominant force. Cause you spent a top 10 pick on him. You would prefer him to be a dominant force, but if he ended up being Kyle Williams, that's a really good player. If he ends up being Geno Atkins, that's a really, 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 really good player. I'll tell you what I'm not happy with. I'm not happy with Aaron Donald comparisons. I, it happened when Ed Oliver came out. It happens, it feels like, every single year. And we need to stop comparing any prospect ever to Aaron Donald. It's just not fair. There's a very reasonable chance that Aaron Donald goes down as one of the best defensive players in the history of football. And I am not okay with anybody having that. And I think a lot of the disappointment that comes from people looking at Ed Oliver comes from misaligned and misappropriated expectations. You have heard me mention on this podcast before that expectations minus reality equals disappointment. Like you can actually quantify. And if your expectations are 10, which is Aaron Donald, like the best player ever, and your reality has been a four, then you're going to have a six level when it comes to quantifying disappointment. So I think that recalibrating expectations is appropriate. And I think what you just did there and saying, Hey, you know, if we get 2011, 2012, Kyle Williams, I think that's, that's pretty good. So let's talk about Cody Ford. What level of play do you have to get from Cody Ford this year playing at guard ostensibly, we think for the entire year, obviously, you know, none of the people who are at training camp and OTAs are allowed to tell us, but from all we assume he's at guard. So, if you saw this level of play from Cody Ford, you wouldn't worry about having to make an acquisition like we already talked about to the guard room in 2022. Well, with Ford, I would say step one is can he stay healthy for all 17 games during the regular season? That's one. That's step one, because that's his biggest issue so far is he, he just hasn't shown the ability to stay healthy to stay fully healthy and not, you know, collect all these dings along the, along the way. Step two is, can he help the team's rushing attack statistically? So does Devin Singletary have, does his, you know, yards before contact improve? Does it with Moss? Step three would be, does, is there any change in Josh Allen's protection? Does the sack do, do, do the sack numbers go down? Do they stay the same? Do they get worse? You know that's the, that's the, the the kind of statistics you look for in terms of an, an offensive line. So with Ford, I think the we never 
we never really got to see him healthy for a full season. We never, I don't think we ever have. So, you know, his biggest struggle is going to be just staying on the field. And that's a victory. That's going to be a victory in my mind for him. You know, whether he can actually help the team with the run or the pass, you know, I think that remains to be seen. But the first emphasis for Ford should be staying healthy. Yeah, it's one of those scenarios where you don't know what grade to give him because so much of it's incomplete because he's been hurt. And that adds another level of mystery to it. With Tremaine Edmonds, you have that he was hurt for a lot of it last year and, as you mentioned, kind of powered through. Can you imagine how we would view Tremaine Edmonds differently if he would have suffered an injury that would have kept him out for the year? I think about that a lot when I think about Tremaine Edmonds and how much the way that we as the Bills Mafia look at Tremaine Edmonds now because he played through the injury versus if he would have been shut down for the year. Like, would we view him differently? Would we still have this really significant optimism about Tremaine Edmonds if he would have torn his pectoral muscle and been out for the season? Because coming into 2021, sorry, coming into 2020, we were very excited about Tremaine Edmonds because 2019, the end of 2019, we started to see some flashes and we're feeling pretty good about it. And I do wonder if one of the reasons why we're so down on him as a as general fan base, there's a lot of people out there who are down on Tremaine Edmonds right now, is because he played through it. And if he hadn't played through it, we probably would feel differently about that. I think about that a lot. I don't know if I've really mentioned it on the podcast before, but that's really, really something that weighs on my mind. So we talked about Edmonds, Oliver, and Ford, and what they have to do for you to not consider their position something that needs to be addressed. What do you need to see from them this year? The last thing we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about the impact of Edmonds, Oliver, and Ford on the way we view Brandon Bean's drafting record. Because I would make an argument right now that the player who's had the best season of anyone that Brandon Bean has drafted has been Josh Allen in 2020. That was the best year of any player that Brandon Bean has drafted. Aside from that, we've gotten some solid, decent, good years. But overall, Brandon Bean's draft class has a tendency and his history has a tendency to kind of hinge on some of these crossroad players. You can throw Dawson Knox in there if you'd like. So I want to ask you if we're going to lump all three of them together here. If all three of these players take the next step in 2021, how does that impact the way that you look at Brandon Bean's drafting record? It's, it's an inflection point for sure. These three draft picks, I, I think, you know, what you're alluding to is that basically these three draft picks hinge on Bean's reputation as, as in the draft. Cause let's, let's not forget that free agency mm-hmm. and, and everything that comes with it is a, is, you know, just an, an equal part of being a GM. But, you know, I think it means it essentially, you know, let's say, let's assume that all three players, you know, don't end up reaching their potential. Let's not, Again, let's not get it twisted that all three players are busts of the, you know, Aaron Maben, mm. Mike Williams scenario. You know, these guys, each of these guys deserve to be on the field. You know, this isn't this isn't like a oh, you know, they drafted they drafted these guys high and they never saw the field and they never played. And no one's saying that. 
they just haven't particularly lived up to their their high draft status. So, but what does this mean for for Brandon Bean's draft record? I think it's approach. It would be approaching you know Bill Polian in Indianapolis territory. So, what does that mean? So that means a very top heavy drafter because you know. Everybody, Bill Pullian got credit for for finding Peyton Manning and drafting Peyton Manning, and and obviously that's that's well deserved. And and Brandon Bean also deserves his credit for drafting Josh Allen because even even over Peyton Manning, that was a much 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 riskier choice. But it's a similar situation in that okay, you drafted our quarterback of the future, and that's great, and you should be rewarded for that. But who can you hang your hat on besides? You know, if those three players don't end up reaching their potential, who can you hang your hat on? Teron Johnson, Gabe Davis, you know, guys you found, you contributors, you know, you found in the middle rounds. Uh, that's just not enough. And, you know, I think, as, as you basically implied, it's an inflection point. It's, and, and let's not, and let's also mention guys that you had brought up in, in that Dawson Knox and Harrison Phillips, who was the third round pick and Devin Singletary, who was the third round pick. Those guys are looking, you know, again, contributors, but not, you know, long-term starters for the team. So there are major questions um, on being on Brandon Bean's draft record. If these three picks in particular do not work out. Okay. So let's go to the comments real fast. And let's just chat a couple things in the closing minutes here. We'll get out of here. Uh, Evie says, what about Milano? Uh, Milano was drafted by Sean McDermott in 2017 when the Trey White draft, draft class. So I don't put him on the Brandon right. Beans draft class. Uh, Sean says specifically about Oliver, what would it take to pick up the fifth-year option? I think the fifth-year option is going to be a discussion about Ed Oliver. And I agree with Griff. I think that the arrow pointing up for Ed Oliver, I think if you get – Kyle Williams level play circa 2011, 2012. That's good enough for me to get the fifth year option um, when it comes to Ed Oliver. And also the fifth year option for Ed Oliver isn't super expensive. He's going to play 50% of the snaps almost for sure. But if he, even if he hits a pro bowl, it's not that expensive relative to Edmonds and Josh Allen. So I think I'd almost have to see, I'll let you answer this, Griff, but I would almost have to see a step backwards from Oliver to not pick up the fifth-year option. What do you think? Yeah, I would agree there. Um, I don't. There's very few scenarios that I can envision them not picking up the fifth-year option. It's just not that expensive. I, I guarantee that Brandon Bean has, you know, predicted that they're going to fit in the fifth-year option. Uh, you know, you'd have to see some sort of dramatic off the field issue or, you know, on the field regression from where he was last year um, to, to be able to not pick that up. That's, that's a pretty rare territory. Zach says he understands this is off topic, but what's the best calculative move for the cap space this off season? So we, we freed up some off off season cap space with digs restructure. Basically, what does he want to see me do with it? Um, I'll answer first, and then I'll let you answer, Griff. Um, I personally would like to see a Steven Nelson investment 
for CB2, but you shouldn't be shocked at this, that I want a, a more athletic CB2 that will allow us to play um, some man coverage. Not that, and this is interesting because Joe Marino talked on his podcast, Locked on Bills, earlier this week about Levi Wallace, and that Levi Wallace has been a perfectly, perfectly reasonable, perfectly effective corner. And I think it's really important to point that out. He has. He has been. The, Levi Wallace is a player that if you protect him with the scheme, then he can be a perfectly reasonable corner. He's been a perfectly reasonable starter on a good defense multiple years. I just think that his skill set limits what you can do on defense. Now, there's a second question, which is whether or not, even if you had the flexibility that a better athlete gives you at CB2, if the staff would actually take advantage of it. We don't know that for sure. And my criticisms could potentially shift if they had a CB2 who could run in man and they consistently didn't mix up the coverages to be able to do that against teams where I think it would behoove us, then the criticism would shift at that point. And I'd be like, hey, you know, I, I think the scheme needs to evolve and things like that. But for me personally, I'd like to see Steven Nelson. I would also like to see a defensive tackle for exactly the reason that Griff said. I'd like to see a defensive tackle because right now I don't think that I don't think that you have a reasonable body at that position with one tech, I think you hope you have a reasonable body. If Starla Tule comes back and is able to reach form, then you have one reasonable body. But Harrison Phillips has not been a um, an overwhelming force. So I think that being able to get a, a defensive tackle would be nice, or Steven Nelson at corner. I think those would be things I would prefer to invest in, especially relative to Ertz, uh, which is popular for everybody else. Griff, what do you think? Yeah, everybody wants you to say Zach, Zach Ertz, um, yeah. but you won't do it. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll, I would 100% agree with you on Steven Nelson. That, that's where I'd invest. Um, I am, you know, as you said, Levi Wallace, is he's a capable starter. You can absolutely win with him. But my God, I am really tired of him being bodied by Devontae Parker um, and larger receivers um, that I just – you know, if, if this team wants to take the next step, if this defense wants to turn into something truly elite, you need to have the secondary be as complete as possible. And I think Steven Nelson gives you a noticeable bump up in terms of coverage ability compared to compared to Wallace and can do more and is more flexible and, you know, would be more of an asset than a liability. Paul in the comment section says way too early to know, but round one and round two defensive ends this year will influence his beans draft legacy. I agree with that. Griff pointed out that there's got to be, have to be a shift at some point between this being a safety dominated defense to it being something that's dominated by the front seven. And if you want to do that, you have to pass the torch from Hughes to Addison and Hughes and Addison to Epinesa, Russo, Boogie Basham, but you don't just have to pass the torch. You have to pass the torch and get an upgrade in level of play because Hughes and Addison are currently not making this a defensive end dominant or defensive line dominant defense. So you not only have to pass the torch to the youth, you have to pass the torch to the youth and get an upgrade in play. So I agree with you, Paul. I think it's going to be really important because that shift that Griff talked about earlier in the podcast, that doesn't happen unless those people start to pan out. Sean says, any possibility we get Geno Atkins? I would doubt it. He plays the same position as Al Oliver, and I don't think they're really interested. 
in taking further snaps. I think if they wanted to get Geno Atkins, they probably just would have just held on to Quentin Jefferson at that point. Um, so I, I would I would doubt it personally. Henry says Sheldon Richardson even. Sheldon, same thing, plays three-tech. I think one of the things that people were using in the Cleveland media to talk about Sheldon Richardson is that Larry Ogunjobi wasn't really an ideal one-tech. Um, I think Larry Ogunjobi is probably better fit um, as a three-tech. And he played at one-tech, and a lot of things they were talking about with Sheldon Richardson was, hey, look how well he played despite not having a really good one-tech next to him. So I think Sheldon Richardson, again, a starting three-tech in this you know, in, in this uh, defense, and I think they're probably going to leave that to to Ed Oliver. Jeff says something that I want, Griff, I want you to comment on this. Jeff says, what's the benefit to signing Nelson over Richard Sherman or another vet? Just curious. I haven't paid much attention to his play. Compare and contrast for the listeners, if you will, Richard Sherman in this defense and the benefits and drawbacks of signing him versus Steven Nelson. Because I've talked about this, and I want your opinion on it. Well, I mean, you know, I, I think the first thing that you would look upon is, is their general age. So Nelson, obviously, is younger. I think he's 28. So he has the, he has the ability to be a long-term or at least, you know, medium-term solution at the position. You know, whereas a guy like, you know, Richard Sherman, I guess, would you know he he's a one year rental. He's he's a guy that you bring in for maybe one year, possibly two if if you're really optimistic, um, and hope that you know he can he can lock it down for for at least one more year. And obviously, the benefit with with Sherman would be he he would come a little bit cheaper. Um, but the difference there is, I think Sherman is more at this point of his career. You know, he is probably just a, a pure cover three corner. Um, you know, he's a guy that's going to drop in, in, you know, the deeper areas of the field, you know, between the hashes and just try to jump lower routes, you know, tackle well. Um, you know, I think his versatility at this point is in his career is lacking compared to Nelson, to, compared to Nelson um, who's kind of demonstrated the ability to, to – you know, kind of thrive in man coverage and more zone coverage. Um, I think at this point in career, you know, want you don't want Richard Sherman, you know, running with guys in man coverage. That's going to end up with problems, and that limits what your calls can be on the de- on the defensive side of the ball. So that's that's primarily for me. That's the biggest difference. That's exactly the same thing. You know, one of the things that I've talked about is I, I don't necessarily want another CB two because Levi Wallace is bad. I want him because Levi Wallace is limited. That doesn't mean he's bad. It just means he can do less things. And I think one of the things you have to do to compete against some of these higher flying offenses is you have to be able to do more things on the back end. And when you have Levi Wallace, who's a perfectly reasonable quarterback, he's just not as fully fleshed in his skill set as you would get from a Nelson. And if you get Richard Sherman, you're getting a really, really good zone corner. But that's what he is. He's, he's a zone cover three quarters style corner. And I always find it absolutely hilarious when the Richard Sherman versus Darrell Revis conversations. Griff, do you remember these that used to rage on social media? Richard Sherman versus Darrell Revis. And I sat here, I pulled my hair out. I'm like, are you kidding me right now? Like, listen, I, I love Richard Sherman, right? But there's 
he's a really, really, really good player at the thing he does, right? And Jarrell Revis's thing that he does is more valuable, which is being able to lock down somebody in man coverage. So that was always interesting to me. And I want to be able to run more multiple coverages on the back end. And Richard Sherman doesn't give me that. But Steven Nelson does. So I, I, I agree with that statement a lot. Guys, thank you so much for being a part of this. Griff, thank you for being here, man. I really appreciate you being here and coming on with me. Um, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you on social media? Tell us what you're working on with Buffalo Rumblings and what you got up your sleeve. Oh boy. So what am I working on with Buffalo Rumblings? I am I just did a I just published an article related to what um, Bill's draft picks that they have in the current draft, which, you know, to be honest, might, uh, as soon as I published, I was like, Oh, is this going to change? Because they're going to trade for Zach Ertz. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so, you know, but if it does, you know, well, if we give up a, a fourth round pick or a fifth round pick for Zach Ertz, I feel like that's, that's relatively worth it. Um, so you can, you know, always find me on, on Buffalo rumblings, publishing stories about, uh, the NFL draft and college football, my, uh, weekly, uh, college football articles uh, that I publish, you know, during the the actual season, and then as we as we get closer to the draft, obviously, I'm I, I post a lot about the draft, uh, you know, immediately before and after. Uh, but you can find me on Twitter at at agriff four two six, and I please I need followers for God's sakes, give me followers. Uh, right. my, I, have, I have very pithy comments. I you know trust. Me. <laughs> All right, guys. Well. If you're listening to this, you have you have homework. Go on Twitter, find Griff at a Griff four two six. That's a Griff four two six four two six. Like April twenty sixth, where the draft is right at the end of April. So that's how you can remember it. You can remember it through that. So a at a Griff four two six. Let's let's get the dude some followers. I mean, he took time out of his week to come on this show. He's never been. He's never talked to me ever before. Right now. This is the first time we've ever talked. We had some very minimal, uh, you know, Twitter DMs back and forth, just making sure that he was he was good to go and show up. And then he came on here and absolutely nailed it. So give the guy some followers. So thank you so much, Griff, for being here. I really appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for taking time out of your week and being a part of this. I really enjoyed it. You absolutely crushed it. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's it. We're done. We did it. And for all the people who were a part of this, Fred, Matt, Henry, Evie, Kevin, Sean, Andy, Jeff, James, Paul, all the people who are currently in the room with me. There were so many more who have already ducked out. Thank you for being a part of this and for your engagement. It totally makes this thing fly, and it makes it so much more fun that you're a part of this. And with all that being said, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumblings. Support for this show comes from Vanta. Dealing with loads of spreadsheets, juggling different tools, and having to do manual security checks, it can be a headache to keep up with today's compliance and security programs. Vanta is the trust management platform that wants to simplify things and bring all your trust-building efforts under one roof, making growth smoother for your whole organization. Vanta lets you automate up to 90% of compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, HIPAA, and more. Strengthen security posture and reduce third-party risk. Get $1,000 off Vanta when you go to Vanta.com slash Vox. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash Vox for $1,000 off Vanta. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. 
Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.